Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. saints welcome to lesson number three otherwise known as episode three we are continuing to to embark on a 36 week series entitled search the scriptures in them you think you have eternal life but they lead you to jesus hallelujah hallelujah Saints, we are touring the Old Testament, finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And our foundational scripture is found in John chapter 5. And I will be reading verse 39 and 40. I'm reading the foundational scripture from the New King James Version. However, I will continue to teach today using the NIV. This lesson was almost canceled today. Uh, Satan is, I tell you, the devil is a liar. I was not feeling good. And to the point where I almost went to the emergency room. But God is Jehovah Rapha, the God who healeth thee. I'm feeling much better, but I was not going to let this day pass without me sharing this message. This, to me, will be the most spiritual and the most revealing episode out of the 36 weeks. Yes. Yes. So saints, if you are not in John chapter five, verse 39, I will commence to reading. You have the opportunity to pause the tape. When you find it, you can resume. Verse 39 in the new King James version, John chapter five. This is Jesus talking to the unbelieving Pharisees and Sadducees who were getting on him about healing someone on the Sabbath day. And like I said before, Jesus is greater than the Sabbath day. Okay. You search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Verse 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. My Lord, my Lord, what a powerful statement that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ made to the unbelieving Pharisees. Now, saints, as I mentioned a few seconds ago, this is going to be the most revealing episode out of the 36 weeks. And I'm here to tell you, put your spiritual hats on. You are going to see Jesus clearly. In the Old Testament, we will continue to be reading uh, from Genesis. And I may mention a couple of prophets. However, we will be reading from Genesis chapter 15 today. And let's see. I'm using an electronic Bible. And unfortunately, I'm having issues with one, so I have to switch to another. Okay, I have several electronic Bibles. I'm going to... Yeah, I think I'm not going... Let me just put this one up. 
because it's uh, acting a little strange. And this message, no matter what, is getting out today. Okay, so Genesis chapter 15, I will be reading verses 6 through 12. And then after I read verse 12, I'm going to skip to verse 17. Okay, New King James. No, I'm sticking with the NIV. Let me go back to the NIV. Uh, okay, verse 6. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it as righteousness. Now, I want you to underline verse 6 in Genesis chapter 15, okay? Because we will come back to that. It is very important and has a lot to do with the realization about Jesus in these scriptures. Now, let me pick up at verse 7. He also said to Abram that he is God talking to Abram. He also said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, Ur of the Chaldeans, before I go any further, is or was a, let's see how I'm going to explain it. I'm not going to stay too long on it because it has nothing to do with our salvation but God brought um, Abraham and his family out of Ur of the Chaldeans, who are also known as the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Okay. And it's also called the Chaldean Empire. Okay. I just wanted you to know what Ur of the Chaldeans and who they were. Uh, verse 7 again. He also said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O Savoran Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the Caucasus, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now I'm going to uh, jump to verse 17. I'm having trouble holding my electronic Bible, I tell you. I'm going to jump to verse 17. When the sun has set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. I want you to keep your finger on verse 17 as well. Underline verse 6 and underline verse 17. Now to many, this text seems to be one of the strangest in the entire Bible. But I'm here to tell you, I can hardly contain myself sitting in this chair. Okay, this chapter has to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest chapters in the Bible. Now, in many ways, that is because of verse six. Okay, Abram believed the Lord, verse six says, and he, he who God credited it to him, him who Abram as righteousness. Now, this verse is a clear announcement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, we are justified, meaning declared righteous in God's sight through faith alone and not by any works that we do. And we talked about this in the last episode. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said, our works are as filthy rags. God won't accept our works. He accepts us through the righteous works of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, in Abraham's case, it is faith in the promise that God would give him a son in his old age. And give him the promised land for his descendants. Those uh, passages of scripture that I skipped uh, talked about that. Okay. Talked about um, giving uh, pro promised lands to uh, Abraham's descendants. But the entire chapter is devoted to God's gracious good news. And the verses I just read. They illustrate the truth of it perfectly. Now let's begin with a short history lesson. In the ancient Middle Eastern world, suzerains, which are also known as kings, they ruled vassals, underlings, 
Uh, now, these vassals underlings were people who owned land or owned a state or states, okay, who worked the land. Now, the suzerain was to protect the vassals. And for that protection, the vassals promised to be loyal to the suzerain and give him a portion of the produce of their land. Now, in order to memorialize their oaths of allegiance to the suzerain, the vassals would cut animals in half and sacrifice birds and other smaller animals and set them in a row on two sides so that a path was formed down the middle. Then the vassals would walk between the pieces. Sound familiar? I'll elaborate a little more. Let's keep moving. Now, by this process, they were swearing a solemn oath to the suzerain uh, or either king that if we do not abide by the oath we have sworn to you, you may do to us what we have done to these animals. Now, it was an oath unto death. Okay. Now, looking at our verses that we just read, we notice first that God, who is the suzerain of the suzerains, orders Abraham, his vassal, to gather up the animals, sacrifice them, cut the larger ones in half, and place the pieces on opposite sides of a path between them. Then we are told that Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then something really strange happens. When the sun has set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Okay. Now the smoking fire pot, pot and the blazing torch are called theophanies. Okay. Theophanies. That's spelled T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-I-E-S. Now they are like the burning bush in Exodus chapter six. Basically, a theophany is a physical manifestation of God that is either seen, heard, or either both. Now, the bottom line is that the suzerain, talking about God, not his vassal, Abraham, takes the solemn oath of death. It was God who took the solemn oath of death uh, between that oath that he made with Abraham. Now, in Hebrews chapter 6, Verses 17 through 18, it says this, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Now the blood oath points to Calvary. It was a blood oath that God just made with Abraham. Mm -hmm. Now what God through our Lord Jesus Christ made the ultimate sacrifice so that Christians everywhere, Abraham's true descendants, according to our simple childlike faith in Christ are as many as the sands of the seashore or the stars in the sky. We can't count them. <laughs> we cannot count them, saints. Now, notice that Abraham is asleep when the fire pot and the torch pass between the pieces. Okay. Now, salvation is the sole work of God's grace, not something we do for ourselves. Both regeneration and faith are gifts of God. Now, in Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, I will continue to read using the NIV. It says this, now the Lord was gracious to Abraham's wife, Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God promised, God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have bore him a son in his old age. Now the son that God promises to Abraham in Genesis 15 is to come from Abraham's loins. Okay. 
But how can that be, most people say? How can that possibly be when Abraham was 100 years old? Abraham and his wife Sarah are both long past the age where, where Sarah can conceive and bear a child by her husband. But I want you to understand this. God is faithful to fulfill his promises even when they are seemingly against all hope. Hallelujah. Now we find Abraham and Sarah as they had been renamed by God. They were joyful over the promise that God made to them and it was fulfilled. They were ecstatic. Now Isaac, a son from their own bodies, was born. Now in the same way, another child of promise, the Lord Jesus Christ, was, was born according to the promise of God and in a manner impossible for the human mind to fully comprehend. The promise of a savior is first announced by God in, in the garden, in the garden of Eden, when he tells Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter three, uh, verse 15. Let me read that for you guys, even though we went over this scripture several times in the previous two episodes. And I will put enmity between Satan and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, over and over again in the Old Testament scriptures, the promise is reiterated. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for instance, a specific promise is made that was written many centuries before it was fulfilled. Now, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, or in your version, it may say something else. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, it is impossible to the human mind for a virgin to bear a child. Now, at least it was for thousands of years before modern science discovered in vitro fertilization. Now, likewise, it is impossible also in human terms for a woman approaching 100 years old, such as Sarah, is to give birth. But for God, nothing is impossible. We need to understand that God is not like us. God created the heavens and the earth. He created the skies, the moon, the stars, water. He created the very air that we breathe. So we shouldn't be surprised at anything that God can do. Now, our promises are weak and contingent because we are weak and contingent beings. But God is not only suborned with the will to do what he has promised, he is also all powerful. God has the power to do what he says he will do. Now, the joy that Abraham and Sarah felt as the promise of God to them was fulfilled was a foreshadowing of the joy that was to come one day for people everywhere. When Jesus is born in Bethlehem, many years after these promises were made of him, the angels gathered to bear witness to the shepherds. The angel said in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, 11 to the people, this is what the angel said. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all the people, saints. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now that's Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. And didn't Isaiah say in chapter 9, verse 6, I'm going to read this again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now Jesus said, search the scriptures. In them they testify of me. We just testify, we just read scriptures that testify of Jesus Christ. Now the child of promise, Isaac, who was born to Abraham and Sarah, prefigured Christ in several other ways. But note the same change that God bestowed upon Abram and Sarai. That's what, what their names was before God changed their names. Now you may notice that God basically added an H to their names, changing Abram's name to Abraham and Sarah's name to Sarah. Well, Sarai's name to Sarah. Now, in Hebrew, the term for spirit is ruach. Ruach, R-U-A-C-H. A word pronounced in such a way to emphasize the H sound. In fact, the word is what we would call 
onomatopoeic. It sounds like something in nature sounds. In this case, ruach means wind or spirit and sounds like the wind. Now later in John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus will make this analogy of the wind to the spirit of God. Listen, this is Jesus talking. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Now the added H to Abram's and Sarai's names exemplifies a breathing into them of the spirit of God. Now the child of promise, Isaac, is a child of the spirit, picturing our Lord Jesus. Now one other word about Abraham's name. Back in the ancient days, the ancient language, Abram meant daddy. And Abraham meant big daddy. Now, can you imagine the laughter that was bestowed upon Abraham and Sarah when Abraham and Sarah ne never had a child? It is the same as the scorn often borne by those of us who have been in Christ's kingdom and seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Now, that means we are already there spiritually. But for the human mind to understand, they think we are crazy. Uh-huh. We're not there yet, but spiritually we are. Now let's talk about Isaac and Jesus. Uh, go to Genesis chapter 22. Chapter 22, and I will be reading verses 1 and 2. Okay? You should still be in Genesis from um, the last scriptures that we read. Now sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. Abraham replied, then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I will tell you about, <clears throat> excuse me, saints. I was trying my best not to cough. Let me drink some water while I was reading that. I was trying <laughs> instead of just stopping and cough, um, Excuse me. Now, I suppose someone might, uh, you know, may have some naysayers out there that say lots of couples have um, only one son. Now, how can we say that these verses make some statement about Jesus? Well, I ask that you listen while I connect Isaac to Jesus. Now, it is in the context in which these verses appear that makes the statement, your only son, so rich in meaning for us. Now, as John 3.16 says about Jesus, now this is Jesus talking. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, first, I want you to notice that God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, one might think that God could have simply said, take your son, Isaac, because after all, there was another son, Ishmael. Abraham had another son, Ishmael, from his maidservant, Hagar, but Hagar was really his wife, Sarah, a servant. For those of you who know the story, when God promised to give Abraham and Sarah a child, God was taking too long for them. So what happened was Sarah went and got her maidservant Hagar and brought her to Abraham for him to lay with. And she got pregnant and had a son. Now this son was before Abraham had Isaac. His name was Ishmael, but he was not the child of promise. Mm, that can be a whole nother teaching. So why did God refer to Isaac as Abraham's only son? Now, okay, now I want you to listen. I'm going to say this again. Remember, first, God says your son. Then he says your only son. Now, as if that were not clear enough, he adds Isaac. Then God said, whom you love. Now, as the father speaks from heaven and says of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, God says this, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Now, while the word Trinity does not occur in scripture, the signature of the triune God 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is everywhere in the Bible. Now, for instance, in John chapter 15, verse 26, we read these words of Jesus. When the counselor comes, whom I will send, or you may um, have in your Bible the helper, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Now, I want you to notice Christ the Son is speaking of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, there are many like verses in these scriptures now. The true God of the Christian faith is one God in three persons. And that's where all hell breaks loose in the body of Christ. That's where people start splitting on what they will teach. Now, it is a profound mystery to most people, but I'm here to tell you it is profoundly true. Now, down through the ages, even to the present day, there are those who claim to, to be Christians, but deny this biblical truth. One of the first general councils of Christianity was held in Nicaea. Now, in uh, 358 AD, a bishop named Arius claimed that the son was not equal with the father, but rather was subordinate. In other ways, Arius made Christ a demigod and not the incarnation of the true God. But the council, praise God for the council, overwhelmingly affirmed Christ to be co-equal and co-eternal with the father, stating that he was homnosius of the same substance as the father. Now, the Holy Trinity is a mystery to us mere humans. Now, a mystery is like a sacred secret. We cannot fully understand it because we are finite creatures and the Trinity is an infinite reality. Now it is beyond our full comprehension, but that fact does not deny its reality. And we need to understand that just because we don't understand something written in the Bible and most people in the body of, the, of Christ that are teachers or pastors, cannot rightly divide the scriptures, doesn't mean it's not true. What you need to do is listen to the ones, and when I say ones, I'm talking about teachers, um, pastors, and evangelists that God has given the pastors, teachers, and evangelists the revelation of these scriptures to. You need to be listening to them because we know in part and we learn in part but if we allow our human understanding to get in the way, God won't give you the revelation of the scriptures. And, and let me tell you something. What I just said was profound here. Men have complained that the Trinity is a logical fallacy, that God cannot be one and three at the same time and in the same circumstances. But we believe that God is one God in substance and yet is in three persons. Now, when Jesus came to earth, he was one person, yet two substances, God, he was fully God and fully man. Now, this is all perfectly logical, yet sublimely mysterious. Now, someone said before to me, why is this important to us? What difference does it make if God is one person or three persons? First, it is important because the Bible clearly teaches that it is. Second, if the son were not co-equal and co-eternal with the father to worship this demigod would be breaking God's very first commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse three, which we all should know. It says this, you shall have no other gods before me. Third, only the infinite and perfectly holy God could take upon himself the sins of people like you and me as Jesus did on the cross. Fourth, if God were not three persons, one of whom became a man, the cross would have been impossible for him to endure in that God cannot die nor completely leave his throne. And finally, saints, and very important, I might add, if God were only one person, he would be forced to create something or someone in order to have an object of his love. God would therefore be subordinate to his creation in the sense that he was forced to create it, but God is eternally free and does whatever he pleases. He is not forced to do anything. The father loves his co-equal and co-eternal only son. Now the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the father 
and the son is the manifestation of that love. Now, I used this analogy before, saints, and I'm going to use it again to represent God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit being one God in three persons. Now, we're going to use water for this illustration. Water represents God. If you freeze that water, it becomes ice. And we use ice for a different function, to cool off drinks or to cool something off. That ice represents Jesus. And if you put that ice in a pot and turn the heat on, that ice starts to melt. It becomes water again and then steam and then it evaporates out of the pot. That steam is the Holy Spirit. But when it's all said and done, steam, ice and water. They are all three water, meaning the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all God. Okay, and beyond that, I can't say no more. Now, let's talk about the sacrifice provided by God. Jesus being the sacrifice provided by God. Now, we in Genesis chapter 22, okay? I'm going to do a lot of reading here and a lot of explanation. Genesis chapter 22, verses 3 through 14. Put your spiritual hats on. This is going to be a ride, okay? Now, early the next morning, remember God told Abraham to take his son um, Isaac, his, his one and only son, the son whom he loves, up to uh, Moriah, and God was going to show him the mountain he wanted him to go to, okay? This is it right here. Genesis chapter 22, I'm going to read verse 3, 4, 3 through 14. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took, he, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, underline that word third. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And then Abraham says, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, I want you to notice that Abraham said, we, talking about him and his son, he, he called the boy. <laughs> he said, we will worship. And then Abraham says, and then we will come back to you. Now, Abraham was supposed to be going up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac. But he says, and then we will come back to you. Okay, let me continue to read. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, which uh, was Isaac's back. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. Now, as the two of them went together, we, I'm getting ready to explain and read just how smart little Isaac was. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Hmm, little smart young fella, isn't he? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac didn't know that he was being brought up to that mountain to be sacrificed by his dad. Now, I want you to listen to what Abraham said to his son. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now go all the way back to when God, uh, Abraham told his three servants, we will worship, talking about him and his son, and then we will come back to you. What did Abraham tell little Isaac? God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. I know little Isaac was probably screaming and hollering at the time. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel had mercy of the Lord called out to him, called out to who? Abraham from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said to Abraham. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from, from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, meaning bushes, 
he saw a ram caught by its horns. There was a ram caught in the bushes. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will provide. No, it's, let me read that over. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now of all the portraits of our Lord Jesus in the Old Testament, this is this one here is perhaps the most striking. In Genesis 5, 6, we read that Abram believed the Lord and he, meaning God, credited it to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham is saved by faith alone. But here we read that it is not a faith that stood alone. Abraham's faith is absolute trust which leads to his obedience, good works that God had for him to do. Now, can you imagine how Abraham must have, have been filled with fear when God commanded him to offer up his only son, Isaac, the child of promise for him and uh, his wife, Sarah, to have as a burnt offering to God. But here's the thing. Abraham believed God when God said that he would offer, he would provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Abraham believed God, but Abraham was prepared to slay his son, Isaac, because God said so. Now don't use this to claim God talked to you and said for you to go and sacrifice your son. Honey, that's Satan talking to you because guess what? Our sacrificial lamb have been slain already. His name is Jesus. And that's it. There will be no more sacrifices for our sins. That's it. So if you hear a voice talking to you, you need to go to the emergency room and be checked out by a psychiatrist. That's not God talking to you. Now, for years and finally experiencing the joy of Isaac's birth, God now commanded that Isaac be offered as a bloody sacrifice. Can you imagine Abraham? Can you imagine what he had to tell his wife, Sarah? Now, Abraham is really in a difficult situation, but he has no choice but to trust God. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 and 19, it says this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. What promise did Abraham receive? God promised that him and his wife Sarah would have a son. And Abraham was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Now, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now, if God said to Abraham that it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, and then Days after that said, I want you to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice to me. Abraham had to trust God. Let me continue reading. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Now, in figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham believed in an awesome and powerful God, one who could literally raise the dead. So Abraham believed had he sacrificed his son, God was going to raise him from the dead anyway. Now, Abraham expected a resurrection, but he didn't have to sacrifice his son. Praise God. Praise God. But what did Abraham witness? Why did God allow Abraham to go through this challenge and this trauma mentally? Okay, we're going to get there. Now, the mountain on which Isaac is offered is in the range of Moriah, which literally means the Lord will provide. Now in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, the exact mountain is called the mountain of the Lord. And I'm here to tell you saints, that mountain is Calvary. Yes, it is near Jerusalem where years later, Jesus would be crucified. Now many scholars think so too. And so do I. It is the same Mount Moriah where Jesus was crucified. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. That's in Zechariah chapter eight, verse three. Now the scene on top of the mountain takes place between the father and son alone. 
just as at Galgatha. Now, Galgatha is also known as Calvary. Mm-hmm. Now, the transaction was solely between God, the father, and his son, Jesus. Now, Isaac carries the wood for his burning on his back, just as Jesus later would carry the wood of the cross, which was the instrument of his death. Now, God stops Abraham's hand from hurting his son before he can do it. But the father does not withdraw his hand from Jesus, who is the anti-type of Isaac's experience. Oh, yes. He allowed Abraham, our father, the father of faith, the father of blessings, to see firsthand how God was going to sacrifice his one and only son. Did Jesus say, search the scriptures in them, they testify of me? Ladies and gentlemen, sisters and brothers, believers and non-believers, we just read Jesus being testified about in the scriptures, in Genesis. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus is resurrected on the third day. Isaac, too, is resurrected figuratively on the third day since his journey had begun. Um, now, the word of God and the many infallible proofs that his word is literally inherent, meaning has no error and sufficient for all our needs. I just read to you, there is no error in these words, saints, no error whatsoever. Now we are getting ready to go uh, a little bit deeper. Uh-huh. Little bit deeper. We are finding Jesus in the scriptures, just like he told us. Now go to Genesis chapter 28. Chapter 28, I'm going to read verses 10 through 12. Now Jacob, now Jacob is Isaac's son. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for, for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set, taking one of the stones there. He put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. I want you to underline that. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. On what? On the staircase. Now, perhaps you remember the story of Jacob's deceit. He not only tricks his older brother Esau out of his birthright, he later deceives his father Isaac into giving him Esau's blessing. Now, fearing that Esau, his brother, was going to kill him after he found out that Jacob tricked him, Jacob agrees with his mother, Rebekah, that he ought to flee Beersheba and head for his relative's home in Haran. Now, in these verses, we find him on, on the trail toward Mesopotamia. Now, the scripture says that he camped for the night in a place called Lutz, which Jacob later renamed Bethel. Now, Jacob had only traveled about 10% of the 500 miles of his journey. As he lay down to sleep with his head propped up on a rock, he has a mysterious dream. He sees a great stairway or either staircase or ladder reaching up to heaven. Now, whatever this stairway was, it must have been huge and exceedingly tall. The word says that it reached to heaven and Jacob saw the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Keep in mind, I want you to underline the word staircase now. Now, angels are mentioned often in Genesis and in, indeed in all scripture. The New Testament, the letter to the Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Oh, please hear this if you don't hear nothing else. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in, joy, in joyful assembly. Now, earlier in chapter 1, verse 14, the, the writer to the Hebrews tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Now, what does the presence of the angels on this enormous staircase mean? Here we go. Now, first, it means that heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, actually exists. Second, it means that heaven is truly interested in the earth. God is invested in his creation. 
Now, what, whatever else it may mean, the stairway's central focus is on God and his promise to Abraham that all people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Now, we know that it is through Jesus that the promise will be fulfilled. We all know that. But Jacob is not living by faith at the time he receives this promise. In fact, he was fleeing from the results of his sin, which is the opposite of faith. Now, he shows this in his response to God's promise and reassurance. In verses 20 through 22, a shaken and awestruck Jacob makes this vow. Jacob says this, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taken and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, this is Jacob making his vow to God, talking to God now, and that, and that all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now notice that Jacob's vow is conditional. If God does all these things for him, then Jacob will submit to God. Now that isn't faith, saints. That's bargaining. Jacob begins to negotiate the terms of his trust in God. Now the point is that Jacob's faith does not precede God's promise. Jacob's salvation depended solely upon God's grace. Okay. Now God's grace is manifested to us in the person of the same Lord who spoke to Jacob from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the central focus of the stairway. Oh my God. I feel like jumping out of this chair. See, see when you know revelation of scriptures, man, I tell you, it goes through my body like crazy. Jesus is the central focus of the stairway as the one mediator between God and man. Now in John chapter one, verse 50 and 51, after Nathaniel had put his faith in Jesus, Jesus said this to Nathaniel, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You shall, you shall see greater things than that. He then added, now he who Jesus, Jesus then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus often referred to himself as the son of man. What did Jacob see? He saw the angels of God ascending and descending on the staircase. Okay. Now look at what Jesus tells Nathaniel. I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of, of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus, that staircase represented Jesus as being the only way to get to God. Hallelujah. Boy, revelation, I tell you, is something else. Saints, I'm sharing this with you so you can have that revelation. Jesus says, search the scriptures. They testify of me right here. The staircase in Jacob's dream. God gave him a dream so that he can have faith in God to be saved, not negotiate or bargain with God. If you do this and do this, I'll do this. No, God allowed Jacob to see that staircase with the, the staircase that led to heaven, by the way, with the angels ascending and descending on that staircase into heaven. That staircase was Jesus. He is the only way to get to God. My Lord, I feel like shouting. I feel like shouting because when you see Jesus in the Old Testament, people, let me tell you this. There are so many different religions who use the Old Testament because they think Jesus ain't in it because it doesn't say the name Jesus. But you have to be given revelation of these scriptures so that you can rightly divide them and find Jesus in it. Now, when I read John chapter one, verse 50 and 51, I read that. So that you can understand that Jesus was the one who went to Jacob in a dream and allowed him to see that staircase. That staircase represents Jesus being the only way to get to God. Jesus is the staircase. Remember John 1, 15, 51 says this. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. 
Jesus then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus is the son of man. Jesus is the staircase. Jesus was, you know, when Jesus said, search the scriptures for in them, they testify of me. We just searched the scriptures and we have a lot more to go saints. Through the grace of God, which is Jesus, grace is also a person. That's a whole nother teaching coming up. Grace is Jesus. We have access to God. We have access to eternal life. Now, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Through his grace, we have access to heaven and eternal life. Saints, do you get this? You need to get this. You can't find God through religion. You can't find God through church denominations or through rituals or trying to sacrifice animals. You can only find God through his son, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus is the father of the living, not the dead. Only Jesus bridges the infinite gap between heaven and earth. And saints, I want to stop right here. I'm not going to go through the prayer, but my God, I want you to... uh if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, go to Romans chapter 10, read verse 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Jesus is the focal point of the entire Old Testament. Hallelujah. So and until next time, saints, peace out. were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. I should note that you must be a follower of my show to submit a voice message. So don't forget to click the follow button. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated and used to help further the gospel. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. English Standard Version. Please sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart, because God loves a cheerful giver. Now until next time, my sisters and brothers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. And remember, continue to walk with Jesus. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.